Bon appétit! About two billion people already eat bugs. Mexicans enjoy chili toasted grasshoppers. Thais tuck into cricket stir fries. And Ghanaians snack on termites. Bug based treats are becoming increasingly popular. They are now hiding in everything from corn chips to marshmallows. The Aztecs and their ancestors ate grasshoppers, worms, and other invertebrates long before the arrival of colonists. We dig for witch tea grubs under the bush in the root. We eat them raw or roast on the coals. So these are actual ants. These are black ants from China. And you know, in China, they say that if you eat them, it slows the aging process and increases sexual vigor. Ooh. It increases sexual vigor. As we just heard, at least two billion people dine on insects on a regular basis. Insects are highly nutritious and are a more environmentally friendly source of protein than livestock. Plus, insect eating has the potential to alleviate food insecurity. These are just some of the compelling reasons to bring insect consumption back to the table. Hi, I'm Lara Anderson, and this is The Secret Life of Language, a podcast from the School of Languages and Linguistics at the University of Melbourne. Although insect eating may be dismissed in the West as one of our latest food fads, it is in fact rooted in human ancestry. Early hunter-gatherers probably learned from animals in their first forages for insects and saw them as both a staple and a delicacy. But as farming took off, bugs were seen as pests. So in the West, it would seem, we've forgotten our insect-rich history. Joining us in the studio today to talk insect ingestion is Deirdre Coleman, Professor of English at the University of Melbourne, who's recently published a book about the 18th century British naturalist and entomologist Henry Smeathman. I'm also joined by research fellow Dr. Paula Gonzalez-Rivas of the University's School of Agriculture and Food, and by epidemiologist Dr. Juan Pablo Villanuevas Cabezas of the Peter Doherty Institute. Also joining me today as episode co-host is Professor Adrian Hearn, who, like myself, works at the University of Melbourne's School of Languages and Linguistics. Paula, I'd like to start with you. What are some of the most compelling reasons, as you see it, for making insect eating more mainstream? So insects for food and feed are really beneficial for the environment because they close the loop in our battle against food waste. Insects can grow easily in organic waste from food scrap, straight from the kitchen, to discarded food and veggies from the markets. Also, even they can grow on sideways, such as animal manure. And also in terms of uh, environmental benefits, insects have very high feed efficiency. They consume less food, they need less water and land compared to other livestock species, and they produce less greenhouse emissions. I was wondering if you could talk to us about the nutritional benefits of insect eating. Insects is a really, as a superfood of sorts. Yeah, exactly. Insects is a superfood. So they are nutrient dense. They contain high protein content. They contain the nine essential amino acids for human diets. They contain unsaturated fatty acids, omega-3 and omega-6, that compared to other livestock, they are in higher proportion. It's the right proportion of omega-3 and omega-6. Yeah, exactly. They have a right proportion, which is very similar to fish. Yeah, okay. And they contain minerals such as iron, zinc and phosphorus and vitamins from the bee complex, which makes insects in a very similar or equal 
nutritional profile as a red meat. Converting insect in a highly dense nutrients and a very versatile to be included in the diet. Also, insect contains chitin in the exoskeleton, and chitin is an undigestible carbohydrate. And studies conducted in humans and animals have demonstrated that chitin, as because it's not absorbed in the gut, helps and works as a prebiotic contributed to the good bacteria, yeah, reducing okay. inflammation, working against IBD, and maybe colon cancer. Deidre, in your work about a 19th century British text that argues for the environmental um, yeah. and health benefits of insect eating, can you tell us a bit about that text? Well, the colonial travel writings about insect eating are really interesting because for the most part, insects are seen as really dirty and a kind of boundary marker between, you know, the civilised Westerner travelling, say, in West Africa and um, the primitive natives who are gorging themselves on you know, termites or locusts or whatever. But uh, occasionally you come across exceptional travellers who think quite wisely that, uh, and particularly for Westerners in a tropical environment, that the healthy thing to do is, is to, to do, do as the natives, natives are do. doing. And so this particular insect, an entomologist, I suppose you'd call him at the end of the 18th century, he is looking in West Africa at the natives eating termites, roasting them like coffee beans and eating them like lollies. So he totally uh, gets that this is a nutritious thing to do. I mean, he understands from talking to the local people that this has been a culinary treat for a long, long time. So, yeah. So he warns in his travel writings that if you're shipwrecked, if you find yourself on the slave coast <laughs> in West Africa in the late 18th century, do as the natives do. do and don't eat the insects. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise you're going to die. So that's a really interesting tension between sort of accepting and, and, yeah. and saying that that's the, a good way to survive in distant lands, but then also that kind of disgust, which is part of the colonial. Yeah. Yeah, um, which you often see in 15th and 16th yeah, century, in very early colonial modern. colonial writing. Yeah. There was yeah. this idea that the American, Indigenous Americans were uncivilised because they were eating insects and how failure to properly differentiate between what was edible and inedible was a sign of their sort of kind of non-human status. Francisco López de Gomara wrote of the Indigenous people of the New World. They eat hedgehogs, weasels, bats locusts, spiders, worms, caterpillars, bees and ticks, raw, cooked and fried. Nothing living escapes their gullet. And what is all the more amazing is that they eat such bugs and dirty animals when they have good bread and wine, fruit, fish and meat available. So he was shocked that they would choose to eat insects. So so you pull the head off? Yeah, head off. It's, I guess it's a little bit like eating a prawn. It's, it's got a shell on the outside... Should be the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll see. So I'm interested to hear a bit about your own experience eating insects and farming insects. Juan and Paula, you have an insect farm at home, and you? Yeah, we have an insect farm at home, and we also have eaten insects overseas. So in our last trip to Thailand, we tried pan-fried uh, crickets with uh, Thai basil leaves, and they were truly delicious. And then we went to Bangkok, and we went to this specialized restaurant that is specialized on edible insects, and we tried cricket pasta with sealworm and basil sauce, and also cricket pasta and a cricket and chorizo ragu. 
They were absolutely oh, okay. delicious yeah, yeah. and it was the highlight of Could our trip. Could you taste the cricket or was it really yeah, kind of heavy yeah. treat of flavour? Yeah, there was a very like nutty flavour. Mm. So insects are defined as a umami flavour, which is the flavour that high protein products provides you. So that's the sense that you have in your tongue when you eat high protein protein products. Here in Australia, we try to include insects in our everyday meals. So what we do is to use either cricket powder or mealworm powder. So the insects that you farm at home or is that uh, both insect so, powder that you buy? So we, we farm at home mealworms and we get some cricket powder as well because we, we like the taste. And we use them for cooking pancakes, uh, baking some bread, uh, for pizza crust. Sometimes we put them as toppings in I our pizzas. I saw that on one of your Facebook posts. Yes. Yeah. Crickets <laughs> on the pizza. <laughs> we we created this amazing cheese platter in our last trip to Chile. So we took some crickets to our friends. And with pisco sour, probably you tried pisco sour. It's a very popular and, drink. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so we had this cheese platter with uh, insects. That was very... Like Did you it. and you tried insects, Adrian, when you were just in Mexico? Yeah, I've tried insects twice in my life. Once was about ten years ago in Mexico, a very kind of fancy, expensive restaurant where they served tacos with small ant eggs, escamoles, I think they were called. And so that was the first time. That was a sort of high-end experience. And the other time was about a week ago in Mexico City, in a marketplace in Coyoacan. Uh, and someone was walking around with a bucket with something orange, and uh, I could see there were limes on top. And I was curious, and I asked, well, you know, what, what is that? And she said, oh, uh, these are chapulines. These are crickets. And I thought, well, I'm waiting here for them to make my tacos in the, in the food market here in Coyoacan. Why not, why not give this a try? And so I did. I tried it, and it to me, tasted like shrimp. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I wondered, you know, in, in your views, our guests today, you know, what potential you see for this going more middle class, more mainstream? Did well, I'm going to out myself as someone who hasn't yet eaten insects. I think probably we have to begin with children if we're going to... So you talk about the revolution. <laughs> you write about that, that in, in your article. Yeah, well, Museums program. Victoria actually ran a day back in 2013 called Bugs for Brunch, and it was targeted at children. So parents invited to bring the kids along and for them all to sit and, and consume different kinds of insects. And apparently the, the reports say the children were averse at, at the first, beginning, yeah. yeah, but slowly came round to the idea. Because you've got an educational program, would you? Yeah, like to we try to focus also in, in on children and include them in our workshops, in order to teach them that they are tasty, insects are tasty, and there is good for them to eat insects. For them to start the conversation at home, probably the the kids will try to encourage parents to go and try them first if they if they try them in activity True, yeah. at in the school and yes. children are the consumers of the future and the adults of mm. the future and they are maybe going to be more affected by food insecurity in the future so they need to be more open aware to of the this idea. and open to this mm. idea. We have a couple of experiences for example last year I brought some crickets to share with my university colleagues and half of them uh, were very happy to try them with a lot of curiosity the other half just look at me with big eyes <laughs> in disbelief Yeah. so Acceptance, I think, is not only about education. It's more about baby steps for a friendly mm. approach for insect consumption. So 
we then had a second experience now with the members of the community garden at the Muni Valley Council. And we presented them some cricket biscuits. They tried them and they just realized that this looked identical to the normal biscuits and tastes identical. So they asked about the ingredients. We showed them cricket powder. And then they wanted to know how we produce that cricket powder. And that was the time we showed them roasted crickets. Many of them were keen to try the cricket to really know the true flavor of the insect. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about using insects as animal feed. Well, there is current investigation that feeding insects to the animals may have multiple benefits. Uh, for example, you can feed the animals and reduce their problems with different bugs that may cause some disease on them, like E. coli, Salmonella, Campylobacters. Um, you can increase the well-being of the animals. For example, there are some early research on feeding insects to chickens and chickens pretty much enjoy eating uh, live animals. So that could increase in the well-being of these farm animals. You know, prior to the pre-industrial era, would animals have eaten insects? So, well, animals like fish and poultry, they normally harvest insects from the wild when they roam free in the water or in the farm. But the regulations to include uh, insects as animal feed is very strict and it's in a constant development in all countries, in the European Union, in North America and also in Australia. So far, the regulations are being approved to include edible insects in fish to replace fish meal because normally farmed fish have been fed with other fish that produce over harvesting. Also, uh, there are uh, some intentions to regulate to include in chicken feed and also in pork, in pig feed. In several countries, they have done studies about what is the performance, the growth rate and the feed efficiency when the insects are included in the diets and there are promissory results. And also uh, from the consumer's perspective, what is the responses in the sensory analysis when people eat the meat from those animals. And this is also a promissory result. So that basically there are no differences between the animals that are fed with a normal diet versus a diet that contains insects. Other area absolutely different is the uh, feed for ruminants. Due to these problems of the BSB or mad cow disease that happens years ago, animal-derived products is no longer approved to be included in ruminant feed. So that's why we cannot, so far, this not approved to include insects in the diets of ruminants, which means cows, sheep or goats. So Juan Pablo, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the process of farming insects. How do people go about sort of sourcing insects for farming and, and, and what does an insect farm look like or, you know, the small scale one that you have at home or if... We wanted to set one up here at the university, for well, example. You have a range of farms, right? If you go to Asia, you will see people going to the bushes, capturing some insects and starting their own colony and very simple things like boxes. Uh, a lot of people use egg trays to produce crickets in, in Asia. Here in Australia, you have kind of formal farms, but a farm is a room. Is a room with the school vertical farms with a lot of trays where you have different uh, stages of the insects. What we have at home is a simpler version of that. 
So we have a vertical farm with different trays where we produce our mealworms and we allow them to grow, to transform into beetles, beetles to breed, to put eggs and lay eggs and then um, start the process all over again. So you mentioned using insects as a powder for flour and, and biscuits. How does that process work? How do you go about turning the farmed insect at your home into powder for biscuits? It's very simple. So we have a very simple farm at home where we grow mealworms in particular. When they have a certain size, which is the size uh, we prefer to harvest them, we just collect them. We put them in the freezer. That's the human way of killing the, the insects. We keep them in the freezer for 48 hours. After that, we go with boiling water. So we clean them in boiling water. Then we dry them and they go to the blender. Wow, okay. Have you got a blender just for insects or uh, multi-use? Uh, I mean, insects are normal food, food yes, a normal yeah, ingredient. Yeah. So <laughs> we have to convince the people that insects are just like seafood, meat, yeah, or any animal yeah. product. I want to ask about maybe the flip side of this. We're talking about people that have studied and, as you say, have a scientific knowledge. I'm curious if, if any of the three of you come across examples where there is a, an explicit intention to try to learn from indigenous or from communities that have been practicing this as part of their heritage to try to learn some lessons from them and scale those lessons up to a Western market. One phrase that really leapt out at me in reading colonial writings about just observing the eating of insects is this idea of the manna harvest. So what colonial settlers are seeing is harvesting and it's manna. So it's got this, you know, the idea of the the sort of honeydew that is left on leaves by insects, you know, that this is a manna, you know, has a biblical resonance. This so, is the manna falling from yeah, the sky. That's in right, the Bible, in right. the wilderness. Okay. Yeah. So it's very richly evocative, the language. I think what we can learn from them is also go back to the nature. It's about what happened with the urbanization. And that's what you told that your child didn't want to try because it wasn't used to see insects or be in contact with them. So if we if we look at those ancient cultures that they live closer to nature and we learn from them to use the resources that are normally seasonal, they are there for some short time and they can be utilized. That's that's a good way to understand how the ecology and how, how the whole system works in the natural world. As part of our program of education, we really want to bring into the conversation people with different backgrounds. Australia is a great place to start that kind of conversation. You have big Asian communities, African communities, Latin American communities. And they, it would be a perfect country for that because there's so many countries where indigenous cultures still right. eat so um, as, insects. As part of our program is not only educate people, but give a space for conversation and, and understand the different perceptions, the different cultures and the different understanding of the consumption of insects. We are quite surprised that given all the good knowledge that the indigenous people of Australia have around insect consumption, this is not well known by the rest of the population here in Australia. It's a sort of kind of blind spot and it would be great to yeah. maybe include that aspect of ab Aboriginal food culture and culture in the educational programs in the schools and that would be a, a way maybe of giving Aboriginal groups more agency and a way of educating about the inherent wisdom of their food ways and and also, I think, insect eating and uh, sustainability, the fact that a lot of colonial well, writers in the colonial period will notice that 
that what's particularly targeted are pest insects. So it's a form of eradication as well as a sustainable food source for humans. So. Yeah, and that's probably the main origin of entomophagy, like to try to control pests. So it's like the same when you when you are allowed to hunt wild species because they are highly abundant. Some areas they had to hunt and gather mm. those insects and to they start eating them and when they, they find, have to control yeah. Yeah, when they had to control them because they were pests. Well certainly in Australia the problem of locusts on farms is yeah. is a serious one. But I don't think anyone really imagines that the solution could be for us to eat the locusts. Well, maybe um, that's something you can suggest to local governments in your report on food <laughs> systems. I could. Well, one of the things that's come up actually is around regulation. And you mentioned, Lara, local government and how these things are um, controlled and regulated. I'm curious in your, well, all three of you in your research on this, uh, have you discovered different approaches in different countries to regulating the safety and the appropriateness of insect consumption? From our experience when we went to Thailand, that they've been practicing the entomophagy and product, pr producing and harvesting insects for a very long time. Regulations were not in place since they don't need it. But now there is more export market. They are trying to meet regulation from other countries like the European Union or North America where they need FDA approval. But in terms of the cleanness of, of production, especially in Australia, the production of insects has to be certified and under certain regulations. So that's why it's not recommended to harvest from the wild sometimes because we now, we, they can be exposed to insecticide and pesticides so we don't know what they contain. So that's why it's better to farm and consume farmed insects. Mm -hmm. So probably in the early ages, they were happy to harvest them from the environments because they weren't exposed to pesticides. But now this is unsafe. In Australia, there is a regulatory regime and it recognizes certain insects as okay and others as not. Is that, is that right? Maybe it's not an okay or not, but it's more about the species that can be safely included in the diet. So and they can be sold. Can yeah. be sold and can be consumed. There are no limitations for their inclusion in the diets of people. And these are three species are millworms, giant millworms, and also crickets. So... Yeah, probably the most common around the world. And you were surprised to see that insects that indigenous groups here in Australia are eating are not included in that list. Yeah, maybe because they are not farmed. They're not farmed. It's so foraging. they are they are, yeah. they are harvest from the wild, and so there has to be a system for them to be produced in a, in a farming system, and mm. this needs more regulation and more technology to be applied. Yeah, because they, these grubs normally grow underground, and. The system is absolutely different to crickets or mealworms when they're normally produced in vertical farms or very contained areas. And very small areas yeah. as well. So with, you know, with all the compelling environmental and health benefits of insect eating and the reasons for bringing insect consumption back to the table, do you think insect eating is a, you know, does it offer a possibility to alleviate food insecurity? Is it a way for us to feed our booming population. Some public health nutritionists have argued that large-scale entomophagy in Western culture faces extremely large barriers, if not insurmountable. What do you think about that? Well, there's certainly a lot of urgency in some of the reports that have been done. There was a report in 2013 called Edible Insects, which was put together by the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organisation. And 
I mean, in 2013, there were nearly a billion chronically hungry people mm. worldwide. And uh, really, this report just emphasises how to feed an estimated 9 billion people by 2050, the subject of insect consumption has to be brought to the table, yeah. as it were. So, it, you know, there, there will be no avoiding uh, looking to insects, um, new yeah. ways of growing food. And as countries get wealthier, people want to eat more meat and protein, and that's just not sustainable. Exactly. Mm. That is expected that due to the wealthiest communities, the need for proteins will increase in 60% in the next years. So we need to find a better way to provide protein to two billion people. So there is a this is a very important topic that we normally talk about in the edible insect area. That insects are normally compared with the sushi phenomenon. Like sushi took nearly or more than twenty years to become mainstream in Western societies because people was really afraid to eat raw fish. But now Sushi is everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, we think that insect will take maybe less than 20 years to become mainstream because we are now in an era of communication and social media. And the experience and the benefits of insects can be spread easily by social media and using chefs that, that they can include the insects in their own recipes and sharing them everywhere. It will be a good way to start teaching them what are the benefits and that Insects are very versatile and high-nutrient uh, ingredients for the diet. You make a good point. I think social media will have a huge impact on making insect eating more mainstream. I'd like to thank our guests, Deirdre, Juan Pablo and Paula. Be sure to keep up with every episode of the Secret Life of Language podcast by following us on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. The Secret Life of Language is a podcast from the University of Melbourne's School of Languages and Linguistics and is licensed under Creative Commons, Copyright 2020, the University of Melbourne. Thanks for listening and buen provecho. Mm-hmm.